you're visiting with us this morning or you came in and didn't get a copy of our notes, please put your hand up and someone will bring you a copy of our notes. There's a couple of uh, blanks in there, some things to fill in this morning and some um, things to remember, be an encouragement to you this morning and some things I'd like you to put into practice. We're going to start this morning with a prayer. Father God, this morning... I ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit and take control of this place. You would take control of me and the words I'm going to say. Father, I pray that the preparation from this week will speak to the heart of your people today. Father God, I pray they would hear your voice and not mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're continuing our series in Mark. We've been working through, we've uh, encountered Jesus, the Saviour, the Messiah, the Son of God, as he gradually reveals himself and his mission to the world. And If you've been following along with us uh, this year through the Gospel of Mark, we've had our key verse that we've repeated time and time again. The words of Jesus. Let's read it together. The time is come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And over the past few weeks, we have followed Jesus in adventures around the Sea of Galilee, demonstrating that he is Lord over nature, Lord over the demons, and Lord over death. We've looked the last two weeks at stories of faith. First of all, the one to whom Jesus said, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. And to another group, the folks in his hometown, the ones whose lack of faith amazed Jesus. We remember from last week, Jesus saying, a prophet is not without honour except in his own home. And it seems to be in response to this, in response to the reality that not everyone will listen to Jesus alone, that Jesus commissions and sends out his disciples as we read in Mark 6, 7 to 13. In verse 6, we read again the the end of Jesus continuing his mission, travelling from village to village, teaching. But from verse 7, as we read through the kids' time, we'll read it again together now. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Uh, This morning in the bus on the way into church, um, my daughter said to me, Dorothy likes to read the passage in advance, so she's practiced for when she needs to read during the kids' time. And she said, oh, this is happening after Jesus has risen from the dead. And I said, no. She goes, yeah, after Jesus rose from the dead. That's when he sent his disciples out. And I said, no. Go back and read it again. This is happening partway through Jesus' ministry. Jesus, even as he is preaching and teaching himself, he sends out his disciples. 
Why does he do this? Well, in part, it's response to Jesus being rejected in his hometown. If the people of Nazareth won't listen to Jesus, maybe they'll listen to Peter. Maybe they'll listen to James and John or one of the other disciples. And also Jesus is only in one place at a time and crowds are coming to him from all over and crowding him. It's getting uh, dangerous almost. So Jesus decides to send out his disciples, his apostles, the ones who are sent, to share the message with the miraculous powers and gifts as well so that he can reach more people with the good news. As we discuss this passage, we will see that Jesus is trusting other people. He's trusting his followers, trusting his disciples. He's trusting us. And he's trusting us with a number of things, with his ministry, with his authority, with his methods, with his meekness, with his, with his message, and with his results. We'll look at each of these things, considering Scripture, as well as our church's response to the calling of Jesus to each of us. First of all, Jesus trusts his ministry. He trusts his ministry to the 12, to his disciples, and to us. So in Mark 6, he calls the 12 to him, and he begins to send them out. We've been focusing on Mark's gospel, but this story is repeated with extra details in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, and in Luke chapters 9 and 10. So this week, I would encourage you to have a look at those Matthew and Luke's version of these same stories. The references are there in your notes. He sends out the 12, and later in Luke's gospel, he sends out another 70 disciples, or 72, depending on your manuscript. He sends out a whole bunch of people. He commissions them with this job. Go and preach. Go and teach. Go and demonstrate my authority. He sends them out. And so we learn from Jesus that the things that Jesus are doing are not just for Jesus to do, they're for his followers to do. And for us as Christians, we know that we also have a part to play in this mission. All Christians need to be involved in this great ministry of Jesus. He trusts his ministry to you and to me. On our side of the reform, there's the Catholics and the Protestants. On our side of the Protestant of, of Christianity, we say that all believers are priests. All people who believe in Jesus have the same role as the priest. And then further down from the Protestants, the evangelicals say that our mission is to pass on the good news, the evangel, evangel the good news. That's our job. That's what we're about as evangelical Christians. We want to pass on this good news. And then as Wesleyans, as also part of the Christian tradition, our Wesleyan tradition says that the gospel not is only something for your head, but it's something for your heart and will transform your whole life as well. We preach a full gospel message that transforms lives. And it's not just the job of the holy person at the front to tell this message, it's the job of all of us. We all have a role in passing on this message, this transformational message. In our congregation, we have our, uh, our mission purpose, the things that we believe, what we're aiming to do. We have three main goals in our congregation. Firstly, to worship God, to passionately worship God and intimately fellowship with him. 
Secondly, to grow in Christ-like character and spirit-empowered service. And thirdly, we want to nurture non-believers into a relationship with God. This is what our church is about. We want to worship God and know him intimately. We want to grow to be like Jesus. And we want to pass on that message and help others have a relationship with God. This is a task for all Christians to be a part of nurturing non-believers into a relationship with God. This is the ministry of Jesus, and we are all called to be a part of it. Jesus trusts his ministry, and also here we read that he trusts his authority to his disciples to go and do the same things that he was doing. In Mark, Mark simply writes that Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits. But when we read the same story in Matthew and Luke, we see that Jesus gives them authority over disease, over sickness, over death, over leprosy. All the things that Jesus has been doing in his ministry up to this time, he commands his disciples to go and do the same. I have a a pastor who I love to listen to his messages, and he says that when people come to him, young people come to him and say, what should I do with my life? What should I do with my life? He points them to Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says, go out and preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out leprosy. That's what we're meant to do. And if along the way Jesus calls you to be a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher or drive a truck, well, that's how you can pay for the things that Jesus wants you to do. Jesus' main mission for us is to go out and proclaim the good news in his authority. This authority is not just for these 12 disciples, not just for the 72 that get sent out in Luke chapter 10. Jesus also gave his authority to us, to all his disciples. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me, therefore I send you to go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. In John 14, 12, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. and They'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says that the miracles will not stop when he leaves the earth. He says the miracles will keep on going because the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in his people. Jesus is absolutely commissioning all who believe in him to do the same works. And in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he's praying for you and me as well. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. We've believed in Jesus because of the message of those original 12, those original apostles of Jesus. And Jesus prays for us that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. If you're a person who believes in Jesus, who trusts in Jesus, then God himself lives inside you. And the authority of Jesus is yours. Sharing the good news is a supernatural work. It has to be a supernatural work. It's not something we can accomplish in our own power or intelligence or strength. 
We need Jesus' power. We need to act in his power. Will this include miracles? It'll have to. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul, the great apostle, probably the greatest mind of his generation, the greatest writer of the first century, the greatest theologian, he writes to the Corinthians and says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence, with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul, who had a brain as big as a planet, came to these people and said, I just want to tell you the simple story of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, so that your faith will rest on the power of God, not on human wisdom. And that should be an encouragement for you and for me as well. We need to rely on the authority of Jesus if we're going to be a part of his ministry. We need to rely on his authority, his power to do the miraculous if we're going to be a part of his ministry. An example of this, uh, in my previous ministry, I did a lot of work with, with homeless people and people in great addictions and troubles and all sorts of messes. And there was one chap who I'd been dealing with for years. His name was Craig. I'd dealt with him in a previous town, and he seemed to move town to follow me. I'm sure he didn't. It was just a coincidence. I'd dealt with him for years. He'd lived in a car, and the whole thing. He was homeless. And he came in one day, probably two years ago now, came into the office as we were helping people and said to me, oh, I've been beaten up, I've been attacked, someone kicked me in the jaw, I need some help with different things. Okay, sit him down and talking to him. And every, about every 30 seconds he'd go, oh, like this to his jaw. Oh, he'd been kicked in the jaw, he had pain. It was severe pain. And every time I'd try to talk to him, he'd go, oh, my jaw. And I couldn't get any sense out of him. So finally I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll do what Jesus did. I said, Craig, I'm going to pray for you that your jaw would stop hurting long enough that we can have a conversation. And I prayed a simple prayer with him. And he starts going like this. Eventually he goes, you've got to be me. I leave out the blank. You've got to be, and he just went, you're gone. No, I didn't do it. I'm not, I'm not a miracle man at all. I just thought, Jesus can heal this man's jaw. And I just prayed a simple prayer and, and, and Jesus showed up. And he stopped for the next, we were able to talk for ages and help him and get him some what he needed and look after him. And the whole time he's going, this is weird. This is weird. I know that Jesus shows up when we give him the opportunity, when we invite him in a miraculous way, and when we walk in his authority, he shows up. And as a result of that, I was able to share with Craig and give him a copy of the New Testament and tell him that Jesus loved him and wanted a relationship with him. And I was able to have a better conversation with that man that day than I'd had in the previous five years of helping him in a human way. When I relied on the power of Jesus, relying on the authority of Jesus, Jesus' message got through. So Jesus trusts his ministry. He trusts his authority. 
and he trusts his methods to his disciples, his methods of going out in simplicity, of going out in poverty, of going out in weakness, of going out in dependence. These were his instructions, he said to them. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go out in such a way that it proves you're relying entirely on the authority of God. I want you to go in weakness and humility and need. I want you to go out and rely on the kindness of strangers. That's incredibly risky. In Matthew's, Matthew's version of this story, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I'm sending you out into this big, scary world with nothing to defend yourselves with. Just sending you out as sheep among wolves. And having given them great authority, Jesus also reminds them that this authority does not mean wealth and power and superiority. Jesus himself says, I have no place to lay my head. He relies on the kindness of strangers to have a place to sleep. And again, Paul reminds us that Jesus left great luxury and wealth to come to the earth. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul reminds us that Jesus, who was in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, Jesus was rich, but for your sake he became poor. Jesus was powerful, but for your sake he became weak. Jesus was as God himself. But for your sake, he became a little baby, relying on the kindness of strangers. Or as Charles Wesley puts it, our great hymn writer, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. I don't know if you can imagine. Imagine the scene in heaven as the Son of God prepares to go and be born, prepares to go and be taking place and taking off all the different parts of his authority, takes off his, his omniscience, takes off his omnipresence, takes off his, omnipot- his whatever the other omnis are. He takes off everything that is his power except for the love, leaves the love of God comes and lives amongst us. There is authority in the name of Jesus. There also must be risk and weakness. If we want Jesus' results, we must be willing to walk the Jesus way. Jesus trusts his disciples and he trusts us with his ministry, with his authority, with his methods, and he also trusts us with his Meekness. This is the word that I'm, I'm awkward about why I've chosen meekness because I, I couldn't find a word that properly encapsulated what I wanted to say. 
He trusts us with his meekness, his grace, his kindness, his respect for the choices of others. Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, 11, if any place does not welcome you or listen to you, then burn it to the ground. Is that what he says? No, that's not what he says. He says, shake your feet off your, take the dust off your feet when you leave. Jesus is saying we cannot force people into faith. We can't do it. Jesus wouldn't do it and we shouldn't try either. Whenever the gospel uses violence or threats, it stops being good news. An important part of the gospel must be that people have the right to say no. We have an example of this in Luke 9, 51 and 56, 51 to 56. Jesus is traveling along. He comes to a Samaritan village. The people of that village won't accept him. And James and John, the sons of thunder, turn to Jesus and say, look, these people are lousy. Shall we call fire down from heaven to consume them? And Jesus goes, no. And they walk away. Because Jesus is meek. He understands that people have the right to say no. He understands that. Jesus respects people's choices, even as he deeply desires that they would make better choices. And we need to do the same. Not cast our pearls before swine, not badger, not demand, not impose, not humiliate or manipulate people into making the choices we want. Not everyone will respond as we want them to. Some will simply not listen. Some will take bits and pieces they like and reject the rest. And like the parable of the sower, we don't know the response until we cast the seed. Until we share the message of Jesus, we don't know the response that will come. So Jesus says, share the message, cast the seed, let people make their choices. And If you can think of a better word for that than meekness, please let me know. Jesus trusts his ministry, his authority, his methods, his meekness, and he trusts his message into our hands as well. The message the disciples proclaim in Mark chapter 6 is the same message that Jesus has been proclaiming from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says here, they went out and preached that people should repent. Mark is giving us just the short version of Jesus' message there. In Matthew's gospel, we have a longer version. Matthew's version of this same story, Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when Luke tells the same story, he says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. All of this comes back to the message Jesus has been teaching and preaching. Their message is his message, and our message should be his message as well. Kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So, should we memorize these words of Jesus and just recite them as if they're a magic spell? Should we memorize them in Greek or in Hebrew or in Aramaic? Or is it okay just to use English? And should we try to communicate this message or just use the words? See, the message is the message. Not the words. The words are the way the message is communicated. 
The gospel message, the good news, can be expressed in thousands of different words, but remains the same message. How do we tell people that God is not far away? How do we tell people that God does not hate them? How do we tell people that God loves them? That God has done everything necessary for people to be forgiven and freed from the fear of death and destruction. The words you use will be different to the words I use. We have a different story to tell, but the same message. We've repeated for months these words of Jesus from Mark 1.15, and sometimes I've asked you to memorize them. But more importantly, have you made them a part of your life? Can you communicate the message in your own words? What does the kingdom of God mean to you? How do you express it? What does repent and believe mean to you? How do you share that meaning with others? Let's practice that right now. Turn to someone next to you and tell them in your own words, what does the kingdom of God mean? Turn to the person next to you. I'll wait. I'm in no rush. You can't go home till I'm finished anyway. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, what does the kingdom of God mean? Do we have any good any answers? Someone gave you a really good answer? Call them out. Yes? Sorry, I didn't hear that. The righteousness of God's people, is that what you mean? Yep, yep. Love, yes, I think love's an important part of the kingdom of God. Yes, yes. Yeah, being blessed to be a blessing to others. Yes, that's a great answer. Yes, Susan? Beginning of heaven on earth. That's a great way to discuss it. Yes. Any others? Yes. Hope for a fallen world. Absolutely. God's kingdom is a place of peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. There are lots of different ways of describing the kingdom of God. Thank you. Now, turn to the person next to you and tell them, what does the word repent mean to you? What does it mean to repent? Tell Pat, Michael, you tell Pat. (laughs) And then you can tell me in a minute. All right, some answers. What were you going to say, Michael? What were you going to say? Change your ways. Great. Any other thoughts on what repent means? Turn around. Yes. Be transformed, yes, Betty? Yeah. Yeah, sorry for what you've done and not going to do it again. That's important, isn't it? Yeah, knowing you're fully forgiven. Yeah, great. All right, one more, believe. What does it mean to believe the good news? Turn to the person next to you. What does it mean to believe?
You got some problems, technical problems? That's all right. We'll just believe. Anyone got some answers for believe? What does what does believe mean? Yes, Keith. Accept that it's real. Yeah, yeah. That's a great answer. Any other thoughts? Yes, Robin. Hmm. Yes. 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 So not not necessarily seeing it completely, but enough to trust and believe. Yep. Other thoughts? What does belief mean, Pat? Yeah, looking at people through God's eyes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, great. Trusting in Jesus, trusting in his good news. And we've been talking about that for the last few weeks as well. The woman with the daughter, the daughter of faith, remember of her? What did she do? She heard about Jesus. She just made some decisions in her mind about Jesus, and she went and did something about it. So these are the things that we're to communicate to those around us using our own words and our own ways. We're called to be witnesses to the gospel. Acts 1.8, you will receive spirit, power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're called to be witnesses. We're not the judge. We're not the prosecution. We're not even the defense. We're just the witnesses. It's not our job to argue people into kingdom. It's our job to share what we have experienced, to share what we know and what we've seen. You might say, I've not got much to witness about. You might say, I've not experienced all that much. And to you I say, keep moving closer to God. Keep trusting Jesus. Go deeper. Go further. Read and pray and worship and share. You will find more and more and more to witness about. And so an important part of our witness is our own experience. I remind you again of our church's mission. We talked about it a few moments ago. What are we about? We're about passionately worshipping God and intimately fellowshipping with him. We're about growing in Christ-like character and spirit-empowered service. We're about nurturing non-believers into a relationship with God. And if we're going to do number three, we have to do numbers one and two as well. We must have something to witness about if we're going to be witnesses. It's no good trying to nurture someone into a relationship with God if we don't have a relationship ourselves. So we need to grow deeper into Jesus. As we grow holier and more and more like Christ, we'll have more to witness and share about. Are there any questions this morning before we conclude? Anything I've said that has raised thoughts in your mind or something you'd like to comment on? If there are any questions, please send me an email, send me a message. I'd like to communicate with you about these things. Jesus has trusted. Oh, sorry, Pat, you put your hand up. Yeah, sure. So talking about ways to begin a conversation with someone who's a non-believer without being too 
forceful or direct. And I'll say that, first of all, it's, there are some people who are very good at being forceful and direct. It's their God-given gift. But for most of us, we're not called to be that. So some people are very good at standing on the street corner and preaching and yelling. Most of us probably aren't very good at that at all. But what I'd say to you is the best way to do that is to have a relationship with Jesus that you can talk about. So when something comes up in your conversation, whatever's happening, the troubles in the world, you can say, well, that reminds me of something Jesus said. Or that reminds me of a story we talked about in church. Or that reminds me of something I read in the Bible this week. And just a subtle way of, 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 of laying those foundations as part of your conversation. You don't have to force people to repent there and then. With many people, it will take a long journey for them to hear the gospel of Jesus and respond. Um, and ultimately, at the end, they will hear from Jesus. <laughs> yeah, sure. And in our, in our Australian culture, religion is the thing we cannot talk about, and it's the, 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 it's the unpardonable sin, isn't it, to be religious? I remember once when I was a teenager, um, I was involved. Anyway, I went away on a camp or something or other and came back, and this lady said to me, oh, no, what are you going to go and do with this? You're gonna go, what are you going to go into politics or something? And I said, no, I found Jesus. And she just went, oh, like this, oh, like Oh, she was utterly disgusted that this young man who she saw so much potential in to do whatever had found Jesus and was going a different way. And that's a big part of our culture. We're an anti-God culture. So how do we share Jesus in that way? Good question. No. I'll talk to you later if that's all right. Sorry, Pat, two questions is my limit. <laughs> no, we need to finish up, but thank you for, for sharing. I'm happy to chat to you about these things. Jesus has trusted his ministry, his authority, his methods, his weakness, and his message to us. But he also trusts his results. Mark says they went out, they did what they'd been told, and it worked. When they communicated Jesus' message in Jesus' way, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them, and it worked. They found that as they stepped out in faith, and we'll talk more about this next week when they come back and report on what's happened. When they went in Jesus' way with Jesus' message, and Jesus' power, Jesus' authority, and Jesus' meekness, they got Jesus' results. And so perhaps, Pat, in Australia, our churches and our religious organisations are challenged because we don't get Jesus' results because we don't do it Jesus' way. Try to go with bells and whistles, and that doesn't work. Or we go with incense and robes, and that doesn't work. Or we go with the rock music, and maybe that doesn't work. And maybe we go with all sorts of different things, and we're not doing it the Jesus way. So we need to find the Jesus way to communicate to Australians Jesus' message. At Pentecost, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit onto the church, and the great partnership continues. What we read here in Mark chapter 6 of Jesus sending out his disciples, that partnership of God working with the disciples continues into the church today. Mark 16.20 ends with the, Mark, the gospel of Mark ends with these words. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by the signs that accompanied it. When we go in God's way, when we do things Jesus' way, Jesus works with us. 
And he confirms by the signs and by his miracles and the things he does that the words are true. We have a part to play. God always plays his part. And then people can make a decision for themselves. But we have to play our part. We have to play our part. And our part is to proclaim Jesus. We've talked so much over the last few weeks about our faith fingers, the way in which we grow in our faith, our private time, our finding that trusted person, being part of a small group, going on mission, belonging to the church. And I encourage you, be a part of all these ways. This is how we grow our faith. But this week the challenge is mostly to do with this pointing finger. We want to point people towards Jesus. We don't want to point at someone's sin. I don't want to say, you there, you're a wicked, sinful person. That's not what we're meant to do. We're meant to point people to Jesus. Yes, point them to Jesus. I'm looking at you. Yes, I'm making fun of you. We're going to point people towards Jesus. Don't go out and point at everybody's sins and tell them how rotten. They pretty much have a good idea that they're rotten sinners. We need to point people towards Jesus. Always to Jesus, who he is and what he has done. So I encourage you this week. Find someone that you can share that with. Is there someone that you have a friendship with, a relationship with, that you can just point to Jesus this week? We have to play our part. and When we play our part, God shows up. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you that you have invited us to be part of your great plan, your great mission to redeem the world. We thank you for Jesus and all that he is and all that he has done for us. Father God, help us to bring glory to him by sharing your good news with those around us. Help us to walk in your ministry, to walk in your authority, to walk in your weakness, to walk in your meekness, to pass on your message. Thank you, Father God. Father, as we share your good news, I pray that you would stretch out your hand as we read in Acts chapter 4, that you would stretch out your hand, that signs and wonders could be done in the name of your son Jesus, that people would know, that people would hear your voice and turn and repent and believe. All these things we pray in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I invite the worship group to come to the platform. Again, if there's something this morning that I've said and you'd like to talk to me about it, please come and speak to me. We have a role to play. We have a part to play in sharing the good news of Jesus. We're going to sing a great Wesleyan hymn this morning, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? And there's a beautiful song that talks about us having our part to play in sharing this good news with the world as well. I'm visiting still families this week in P, Q and R. So if your family name ends in P, Q and R, I'd like to speak to you as you go out. And if I haven't visited with you and your name comes before that, let me know because I'd like to, maybe I haven't got the right contact details for you. So let's sing together. I'll hand over to Tabitha is what I should do.